Morning Church, it's awesome to be here. Thank you to our task team that are putting a couple of things in place. Baby cash, that's awesome. Anybody want um, baby cash and big cash and like... Amazing. So um, while these chairs and are coming up and everybody's finding their seat, um, I saw this analogy 20 years ago when my mum... I was 16 years old, I was a rebellious teenager, and she dragged me to a church service at the Kloof Baptist, it was a Tuesday night, midweek, um, and she dragged me to this particular session, and this thought, imagery, has stuck with me 20 years later, and let me just tell you parents, you should be dragging your kids to church. Um, when I was um, a kid, kind of teenagers, I had a drug problem. My mom drugged me to kids' church, she drugged me to prayer meetings, she drugged me everywhere that had Jesus in that space. And I really want to encourage you, I really believe actually as parents, we have a responsibility to make sure that our kids get into the presence of God. So wherever you find a space that you can drug your kids, drug them to church, drug them to kids' church. I was saying to my wife, who is our Sky Kids a kids' church pastor, I really believe that the next 20 years, the most important ministry in the church is not our ladies' ministry, is not our youth ministry, they're all very important, is not our marketplace, again, not to diss on any of those, but I really believe our children's church ministry is the most important thing. If the church is going to endure, and it will, over the next 50 years, we need to make sure that we're teaching our kids the truth, that they're able to understand truth, see truth, see fraudulent activity of the enemy. And so let's make sure that we are drugging our kids to church in every way. So 20 years ago, I see this analogy. Um, I, I am not a follower of Jesus, and so I'm pretty mad that I'm at this event on a Tuesday night when I'd rather be at home. Um, but it stuck with me, and here it is, the three chairs. And um, the idea is that there are three kinds of revelation. There's first chair revelation up front, there's second chair revelation, and third chair revelation. All three revelations are really important to us and really um, applicable and necessary in our faith, but it is vital that we end up and have first chair revelation. Let me explain what first chair revelation is. First chair revelation is where I meet Jesus. I know Jesus. I encounter Jesus. I experience the presence of God. I have a revelation of who Jesus is, his character, and how he works, meaning I have had an encounter where I felt either the presence of God, or I've been healed by God, or I've seen the freedom of God in my life. It's personal. It's intimate. It's me and Jesus. It's a first-hand encounter. It's not my pastor. It's not my parent. It's not my preacher. It's me and Jesus. First-hand, first-chair revelation is deeply deeply important in our faith. Second chair revelation is, is, is um, extremely important. It's not as important as first chair revelation, but it is extremely important in building our faith. And that is when we see people in our lives have some kind of encounter with God and then they express it to us or with us. So it's when I see my wife healed from depression. It's when my home group, um, somebody sitting in my home group is battling with anxiety, but God sets them free. It's when that family member or that youth kid that's sitting in our youth ministry gets freed from the addiction. It is a second chair revelation. It 
builds faith. It's vitally important to have second chair revelation. Second chair revelation should lead us to a first chair revelation. And then third chair revelation is also important, perhaps not as important as first and second chair, but it is something that God has put in place for us to get kind of stirred in our faith. And that is when our pastor preaches and uh, we hear the word of God like on a Sunday today, and there's something that stirs in our heart that goes, man, that sounds good. That sounds like God. That stirs my faith. It awakens something in me. It's when I watch the podcast. It's when I have, um, you know, when I read that book, when I, it's somebody else's revelation. Perhaps it's when your pastor stands up like Hilt just did in the prayer request and say, we heard that so-and-so was healed. It's not your friend, it's not your family member, but you hear via the testimony or the preaching or the pastoring of somebody else that God is moving. Third chair revelation, second chair revelation, first chair revelation, third chair revelation. All three chairs are really important, but I suspect that for many of us, for much of the church, we sit in a third chair revelation where all we're getting of this idea of who God is, this revelation of who God is, is a third chair revelation. And you know, the devil's not afraid of a third chair revelation. I mean, he wouldn't want it. He doesn't want you sitting here today, but he's not afraid of your third chair revelation. He is terrified of your first chair revelation. But he's not afraid of your, first, your third chair revelation. And so for all of us, we need to have this pursuit of getting a first chair revelation. Believing th- uh, in God through someone else's revelation is awesome because it stirs faith. But it's not personal. It's not an encounter or a conviction that sits on deep on the inside that says, I know that I know that I know. I'll come back to you in a moment, my friend. Okay, thank you. So third chair revelation can easily be shaken because it's based on someone else or something else. Third chair revelation, we can be shaken, which is why much of the time we can ask questions. Now, I'm not saying asking questions is wrong, but if you don't have a second chair and first chair revelation, you'll sit in third chair revelation and you'll begin to doubt God because it's based on somebody else's revelation, not on yours. It's like, I don't know if you've ever watched any kind of legal or law series, and they get you up on the witness stand, and they say, sir, ma'am, did this particular thing happen to you? First chair revelation. Like, no, 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 sorry, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't happen to me. Oh, okay, perfect. So you were then an eyewitness you had first-hand encounter. You watched it happen. Is that, is that what you're saying? Oh, no, oh, no, no. No, that wasn't me. I heard somebody say that third chair. And you know what they'll say in court? They'll say, he'll say, throw it out of court. It doesn't stand. And you know what the problem is, church? Third chair revelation doesn't stand in this world. It's there to build our faith, boost our faith, ignite our faith, but it's always meant to move to second chair and first chair revelation. 
where you have a personal encounter and intimacy with God. That's why in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says this, they triumphed over him, him being the devil, by the blood of the lamb, that's already happened, Jesus already died on the cross, so he does not have to do that. So now is about the second part, and the third part, and the second part is, we triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, and the word of whose testimony? Their testimony. Your testimony. What do you say about God? Who do you say God is? Not who does your pastor say? Who does your parents say? Who does your preacher say? Who does your home group leader say? Who does your youth leader say? Who do you say that God is? Because we will triumph over the enemy if we understand who God is. I've seen him heal me. I've seen him heal my kids. I've seen him provide for my business. I've seen him bring breakthrough. I've seen the freedom of God. I've experienced the presence of God. I heard him speak to me this morning. First chair, Revelation vitally important if we're going to walk with Jesus in these times. Not someone else's testimony, your testimony. I saw God do this in a world that is so uncertain and fragile and destabilizing. We need a confidence that we're able to say, I know that I know that I know who Jesus is. So let me give you three accounts. Two, to drive home this idea through the scriptures that we need a first chair revelation. And then the third story, we'll look at somebody actually pursuing a first chair revelation. So the first account is found in the book of John chapter 4. And let me give you some context to the story. Jesus meets this woman at the well. She is not a believer. She does not know Jesus. She's not a Christian. In fact, she hasn't even been raised in a Jewish environment. And so she has this encounter with God. And there's, this, uh, there's a whole bunch of exchanges that go on where Jesus starts to reveal stuff about her. And she starts to have her eyes um, kind of open to the fact that he's the Messiah that he's the savior, that he's the son of God. He's the one who's coming to save the world. And, and she then proceeds to head back to her town and tell everybody that there is Jesus, this savior. Let's read the story in John chapter four, verse 39. We're picking it up once she's run back to the town. It says, many Samaritans, those were unbelievers from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They believed in Jesus because they had a second chair revelation. We can come to know Jesus through somebody else's revelation. We can come to know who Jesus is through a second chair revelation. But listen what she says. So it says, they came to believe because of the woman's testimony. And then she says, he told me everything I know. First chair revelation. He told me everything I ever did. First chair Revelation. She's sharing that I encountered Jesus personally. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Interesting point. They, once they had the second chair revelation, which many of us in the room have had, they urged Jesus to stay longer. Not the woman. The woman was preaching, but it was about Jesus. Much of the time, church, we come on a Sunday or in our home group and we have an encounter with God, a third chair revelation, but we don't ask Jesus to stay. We don't sit in the revelation that we got so that it moves from third chair revelation to second chair revelation. Hilt's preached one of the best series the last two weeks on perspective. It's a third chair revelation for me. 
I've sat listening to the message the last two weeks, but let me tell you what I've done the last two weeks. In between Sundays, I've taken that message. I've appropriated it. I've got up early in the mornings and I said, God, that's incredible. How's this perspective of how big you are, how small I am, but how much you care for me. I can't believe how much is possible. Ask Jin, ask Hilt, ask Adele. All week I've been saying, I can't believe I've ever prayed such small prayers when we have such a large God. I've appropriated it in prayer. I've appropriated it through the Word of God, where I'm starting to pray, pray and believe God for second chair and first chair revelation. We must ask Jesus to stay longer than a church service. We must appropriate what we hear on a Sunday. It must bleed into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. If your world and your faith is spinning out of control and you're wondering why, it may be because you're sitting in a third chair revelation. It goes on to say this. It says, And because of his words, many more became believers. Because of who, whose words? Not her words. His words. The Bible says that my sheep hear my voice, which means, church, it's actually not difficult for you and I to hear the voice of God. Somehow we've allowed the system of this world to convince us that it's hard to hear God's voice. And so instead of going and getting his voice for myself, his word for myself, I'll get it from somebody else. Don't be lazy, Christians. Go and get a word for yourself, a daily bread, a daily word from the throngs and the presence of heaven. God wants to speak to you, will speak to you. It's just about our, vo our ear being attentive to his voice. They stayed and they believed because his voice. Nothing wrong with a preacher, nothing wrong with a podcast, nothing wrong with a book, but they are all third chair revelation. God wants this personal, intimate encounter where you begin to hear his voice. Listen to what it says in verse 42, last verse of the story. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, second chair revelation. Now we have heard for ourselves First share revelation. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Notice something interesting. Keep that verse up. It says, we no longer believe because of your testimony. We now know because we've heard for ourselves. You can believe in chair three and chair two. But you will never know unless you have a first share revelation. And you know what's going to hold you and I in a shaky world? That I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. May my child get sick? Yes. But I know that I know that I know that I know that he is the healer. May there be times in business where I think, dear God, what are you, how are you going to make that? But I know that I know that I know that he's my provider. Many of us settle for believing in God. And Jesus is calling his church to know their God. You can believe or somebody else's testimony, but you know when you hear for yourself. Let's look at the second story. This is the account of where Peter recognizes Jesus as Messiah. Um, we'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and it says, And when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who do the people say that I am? Or who do the people say that Jesus is? 
basically he's kind of, he's deconstructing this idea of second chair, third chair, first chair. Who does everybody else say that I am? What do others have to say about me? And just let me pause here for a moment. What others have to say is really important. Because if others say stuff for long enough, if they start to speak unbelief and start to speak fear and start to declare things over this nation and over your health and over your business and over this church and over what Jesus is doing, if they speak for long enough and you listen for long enough, it'll rub off on you. And unbelief will set in. That's why our voice, uh, sorry, our ear has to be attentive to the loudest voice, which is the King of Kings. His voice, what does he have to say? Who do others say that I am? And so the disciples begin to respond. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still some say Jeremiah, and others say prophets. Basically, and this would probably be their response in today. Some say God, some say you're good, some say you're healer, some say you're provider. Some are unsure, some say you're provider, some say you're comforter. And then Jesus hones in, as Jesus always does. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? So I ask you today, church, who do you? Who do you say that he is? Not the preacher, not the pastor, not your parents, not your friend. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? Now, for many of us, and I believe today's your day to move past this space, but for many of us, we go like, ah, oh, he's a big guy upstairs. Maybe, maybe we use the word Lord or God. And I'm not saying that you don't believe in him. I'm not saying you don't have a revelation that he died on a cross. I'm just saying how sad, friends, if your revelation is based off somebody else and all you can blurt out from your lips is that he's Lord or God or the big guy upstairs when he is desperately calling his church to know him as dad. And pushes it further than that. It's like, I'm not just your dad, I'm Abba Father. I'm, dad, I'm daddy, I'm the one you can come to. I'm your comforter, I'm your peace. I'm, your, uh, I'm the one who will provide. I, why would you just know me as God? When you intimately can get to know me and really know that you know that you know who Jesus is. So the story continues and it says this. So Jesus asked them, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. There's so much in these two verses. Let me pause and just say, he starts by saying blessed. The word blessed means happy, spiritually secure, favored by God. In a world that is so fragile and broken, it is desperately important that you and I are spiritually secure. When you're spiritually secure, you will be happy and favored by God. But you will only be blessed Spiritually secure when you have a revelation of who God is, a revelation of the person of Jesus. So he says, blessed are you, Simon Peter. 
He goes on to say, for it was not humans who told you this. This was not second chair revelation. This was not third chair revelation. This was by my Father in heaven, meaning this was by the Spirit of God. Then he says this in verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I don't know if you missed this, but in verse 17, if you want to pop it up, he says, Simon, he says, Simon, son of Jonah. One verse later, he's like, Peter. Now, Jesus has not lost the plot. He has not forgotten Simon's name. He is doing something extremely intentional, but it must be confusing. It's like, hey, Hilton, God revealed this to you. And by the way, Brian, you're like, Jesus, Hilton, it's Simon. He's like, no, it's not Simon. Because Simon means reed that can be blown in the wind. But Peter means rock, which is stable and secure. And I want to tell you, you used to be Simon, but when you got a revelation of who Jesus is, you're no longer blown by your doubts and your fears and your unbelief, but you are a rock because of the revelation of who Jesus is. You see, when you and I have a revelation of who Jesus is, not only do we get to, not only do we get to see the character of God, but we get to have our character transformed into the person of God. So you and I, by a revelation, no longer have the old identity, no longer have the old fears, but we have who God has called us to be. And then he says this, he says, Peter, on this revelation, on this rock, because you now know that I'm the Messiah, because you've had a first chair revelation, Peter, I now will build my church through this. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail. For Peter and the guys around there, they would have been like, hell has been prevailing all over. Hell, Hell runs mock across the earth. And then for you and I, we look and go, yes, but I have a revelation of who Jesus is. It's not second chair. It's not third chair. And so because of that, not only do I get a revelation of who God is, not only do I get an identity transformation, not only do I get a new name, but I get a new purpose. And that is being part of the church, Big Rock, my small rock, part of the big rock, stable, secure, my spirit blessed, which means to be secure spiritually. And now God uses me to shut hell down. Where hell used to run rampant, I now get to shut it down, part of the church of Jesus Christ. A first chair revelation is desperately important in our faith. You know, sometimes as um, pastors, I'm sure you may do this as well, and we'll go, where, where, where's so-and-so? Where, where are they? They used to be here in church. Where are they? And, and, and I cannot tell you how, how it grieves our hearts and how we take it in prayer to God and say, God, please, we're, we're asking you, God, that that person would return. But friend, can I just be honest with you? I've been pastoring now for the last 15 years. If you are going to sit in third chair revelation, we will be speaking about you that way. 
I know that sounds heavy and harsh and ugly, but let me rather tell you the truth. If you don't have a first chair revelation and you're sitting here in two, three, five, ten years' time, you will not be here. You will not be following Jesus because you cannot be living on somebody else's revelation. And the reason is, is that Jesus won't allow it because Jesus wants you. He doesn't want a religion. He doesn't want principles. He doesn't want a philosophy. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to reveal himself to you. First chair revelation. All right. Let's um, move on. And let me tell you this. Who do you say that he is? First chair, second chair, third chair revelation. This I know that I know that I know. This conviction and confidence and courage that comes from that first chair. The the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he understood this, which is why he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I just want to know Christ. Everything else will fall into place if I just make my life about knowing Christ. Let me read it in the Amplified for you. It says this, for my determined purpose, nothing else. My determined purpose here on earth is this, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. I love the idea that it says progressively become more deeply and intimately. Many of us have had a first chair revelation. Some of us, it was back, and then we've settled for second and third chair. And God's going, but I, I want to speak to you daily. Just this last week, I was um, out up early in the morning and, and praying, and God dropped somebody's name into my heart, had messaged this person. Um, I mean, I had messaged him before, but not from a spiritual, like, hey, I've got a word for you. I sent him the most simple, like, word nothing too profound. He messaged me back saying, I desperately needed that. Thank you so much. Such a confirmation. And uh, I messaged back, hey, awesome, man. And as I'm kind of messaging back, somebody comes and you know when you're merging onto the, the highway at the same time and you're trying to decide who's going to let who in. And, um, and so I just decided to be nice and let him kind of come in front of me. As he comes in front of me, his number plate is the same name as the person that I messaged that morning. I'm just telling you, it's absolutely riveting to sit in the first chair. You, you, you get to shut down the fear that was in that man's heart. You get to shut down the doubt that God really cares about that person because you get to be a part of the building of God's church here on this side of eternity. Why would you settle for third chair revelation? So I think for many of us, asking the question, okay, how? How do I do that? How does first chair revelation become important? And again, third chair, second chair, vitally important. The reason you're here today is is some third chair and second chair revelation. Deeply important in our faith, but it has to move. And so let's look at an account found in Genesis. And it's the story of Jacob. Let me quickly give some context. Jacob deceives his brother Esau, and takes all of his inheritance really like, like in many ways just completely rips up his life and receives all the blessings and heads off. And then, 
there's this moment where they're going to see each other, and Jacob is somewhat seemingly terrified. He thinks it's the end. His name literally means deceiver. He's deceived his brother, and so he gets this masterful plan where he starts to send out kind of gifts ahead of him, and the people who are going to take those gifts are like the least valuable are on the front group, and then the next valuable, and then eventually it's like his wives and kids. Imagine being part of the front group that you're like, look, you may die, but like off you go, and if you die, we'll see the blood, and then we'll all run the other way. This is, this is the story we're reading, and Jacob ends up on the last day before he's going to see Esau, he sends his wives, his, his wives and his kids and his, his most precious possessions across the river. And he's left on his own. And this is the story. Genesis chapter, well, I'm actually not sure what the chapter is, but it's verse 24. I'll tell you the chapter at the end. It says, so Jacob was left alone. This is deeply important when it comes to first share revelation. Jesus was often found alone with God. If your only encounter with God is corporate, you're missing so much of who Jesus is. If you have not got alone with Jesus in a long time, friend, put your alarm clock on on tomorrow morning, get up at 5 a.m., get up at 4 a.m., and get in the presence of God. He was left alone for the night, And this incredible encounter happened. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now scholars believe that it could be an angel and some scholars believe that it's actually Jesus. Jesus revealing himself in the Old Testament, which is not unheard of. He does it all the way through the Old Testament. He makes these kind of cameo appearances. Do you remember Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? And then they said, there's four in the fire. Someone that looks like the son of man. Jesus. All of these accounts where Jesus begins to reveal himself. And so Jesus and Jacob wrestle in the night. You can imagine Jacob's got all of these fears, all of this guilt, all of this shame going through his heart, his mind. And God and him wrestle throughout the night. It goes on in verse 25, it says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he would wrestle with the man. Then the man said, Let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The word blessed used, the same word blessed that when God, when Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for nobody revealed this to you other than my father. The same word blessed to be spiritually secure, what he's saying is, God, I don't want blessing. I don't need more camels. I don't need more wives. What I need is to be spiritually secure that even though I'm walking into this battle, even though I'm walking into the unknown, even though it looks like my very life and kids' lives and fam will be taken from me, God, I need to be spiritually secure. I need to know that I know that I know. I'm gonna wrestle with you all night if that's what it takes to be secure. Some of us, we need to stop being so lazy. We want to just pray one prayer. We have to wrestle because you understand that the wrestle is not so much about wrestling and twisting God's arm as it is about God displacing your hip. It's much more about you being put out, you dying to yourself because 
Jacob was wrestling in his own strength and God wanted to show Jacob that you're not gonna win in this battle and you're not gonna win in this life and you're not gonna win in your mind and you're not gonna win over that addiction and you're not gonna win over that fear if you're gonna continue to walk the same way, walk according to your own strength. Much of the wrestle's got very little to do with God and much to do with you and I dying to ourselves. I'm a wrestle in the presence of God until I realize I am not my provider. He is. I am not my healer. He is. I am not, I cannot get peace. It doesn't matter how many toys I buy. It doesn't matter how big my bank balance looks. I can't turn my marriage around. He can. He's the restorer. He, the wrestle is about you dying and him showing who he is. So he wrestles with God, with Jesus through the night. He says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me, until I become spiritually secure. Jacob said to him then, sorry, the man then asked, what is your name, Jacob? Uh, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said to him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Interesting, Simon gets a name change by a revelation of who Jesus is. Jacob gets a name change by wrestling in the presence of God. He gets moved from Jacob, which means deceiver, to Israel, which means God's fighter. I will build my church through this revelation when you've had a face-to-face -face encounter with God. In fact, Jacob then goes on to name this very place. And he says, oh, Jacob first asked him, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel. That word Peniel literally means face of God. Meaning this, church. The wrestle is not about the hand of God as much as it is about the face of God. God, I don't want to get stuff from you. I want to get relationship from you. God, I am not asking you to provide for me. I'm asking to know you as my provider. God, I'm not asking you to give me a dose of peace. I want to know you as the prince of peace. This wrestle was about the face of God, not the hand of God. Then it says, verse 31, the sun rose above him and he passed Peniel, he passed the face of God and he was limping because of his hip. You see, we will always walk differently when we've had an encounter with the presence of God. Have you been around people that have been in the presence of God? Like everything's falling apart, they've got a smile on their face. Everything feels like it's not working. And you're like, how are you so courageous? How are you so confident? How are you so secure? Well, friend, I'm secure because I've sat and I know. I'm not guessing, I'm not unsure. I know he's the Prince of Peace. I know that he's the God of Romans 8, 28. I've seen him do it before. In fact, I've seen him do it many times before. In fact, he's been so kind that I've seen him do it in other people's lives before. And when the preacher preaches on, on a Sunday and he tells me that God's healer, I don't hear it for the first time and wonder, I know he's healer because I've seen him be healer in my wife's life and in my friend's life and in my life. And I wait with eager expectation because I wrestle in the presence of God. And I walk differently. I walk with courage. I tell you what, church, there's a time, and we're in it, it's not coming, there's a time now 
where the world is shaking. And the problem is the church is shaking when we should be standing tall and going, darkness doesn't terrify us. He's the light. Sickness doesn't scare me. He's the healer. The petrol price doesn't terrify me. He's my provider. But all of us the last two weeks, hey, petrol price, I'm, I'm just, my conversation, not yours. I know you're way more holy. Oh, the petrol price and how we're all going to live. And if that goes up, then the groceries go up. And I don't know how we're going to pay everyone. And there's going to be a shutdown. And my days, church, let's talk about here. The one who says that I will make rivers flow in the desert. I'll make straight paths in the wilderness. I'll make the dead rise. That's the God that we serve. So I'm going to ask La and uh, Rich to head on up. And as they head on up, I want to encourage you. We're going to sing a song right now. I want to encourage you about the presence of God. You know, it's interesting. Um, I can't say for sure, but Jacob asked this man, this angel, Jesus, for his name, and he, he, he doesn't actually give it. But then when Jesus comes and dies on a cross, he then reveals that we may have a living, breathing relationship with him, meaning we have access to every name. We've been singing for the last couple of weeks that I know you by a thousand names. Is that true? Or is it a lyric in a line, in a song? Do you know him by a thousand names? Do you know him as your dad? Do you know him as your healer? Do you know him as your restorer? Do you know him as your comforter? Because many of us sit in a third chair revelation and we wonder, like, God, I don't know how to hear you. I don't know how to hear your voice. And God has given us an entire text, 66 books in a Bible, with His very breath, His very voice, and it's sitting on your shelf. You don't have an excuse. There are words upon words upon words upon words sitting, many of us, multiple Bibles saying, I know I should. Church, there's a time. It's shaking. And unless you get the Word of God, this is, it's no ordinary book. Okay, pass me your Bible. This is, no, this is not a book. Friends, if you thought this is just... Scriptures say in Colossians that all Scripture is God-breathed. This is the voice of God, the breath of God, the same breath that He breathed into Adam. He breathed through His Spirit, through the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, this can't sit. It can't sit on your shelf. How dare we sit in third chair revelation when daily I can open up and look for Jesus Stop reading the Bible like it's an instructional manual or something when you feel a tad of guilt that you pick up. This is a discovery of the person and the man of Jesus Christ. This text is Jesus. 
for Jesus, you will always find Him. Always. So we're going to take a moment right now. We're going to sing a very old song that speaks about God's living presence, His living Word. And I'm going to ask that you stand to your feet. But we're going to sing this song together. And I just want to say before we sing the song, towards the end of the service, Hill will make mention. But if you are sitting here and you're like, man, God, I once had a first share revelation or maybe I've never had a first share revelation. At the end of the service, I know sometimes we want to rush out and get our coffee, but sometimes we just need to ask Jesus to stay for an extra two days. You can come and sit here in the first chair. You may have to wait, but it's worth the wait. Saying about that. Sit in the first chair and just say, God, this is where I want to be. It doesn't have to be a long prayer, but just a prayer, just saying, God, this is what I want. First chair revelation. Let's sing long.